This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. JP and I are delighted to be back into interview season and in interview mode. It's now 2021 and we have a new crop of students wanting to be neurosurgeons. And I'm delighted to have back with us Rick Komatar. Rick has been on the podcast several times talking about this very topic. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Happy to be on. Great. Thanks. And Rick is our local program director here at University of Miami. Uh, We wanted to lead off with him, but I'm going to tell you a little bit of a secret that JP and I are planning, which is we're going to be trying to record numerous program directors around the country to get a flavor of what the different training programs are really like. And it could be a program director, could be a chairman, could be an assistant program director. But, you know, in this time when people are not able to do all of their sub eyes, I think this is going to be essential. So JP, you want to tell us a little bit about how you envision this playing out in the next couple months? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, keep an eye out for our regular episodes on Sundays, but then interspersed throughout the coming weeks and months, as Dr. Wang said, through the interview season, we'll bring you some special reports, special interviews, special episodes, usually on Thursdays, detailing how this year's interview process might be a little bit different, certainly compared to last year, but still different compared to the average years that we've all come to know and love with the interview trail and hopefully giving some good tips, uh, some tricks, and advice for the students applying this year who want to join the field. Great. So let's uh, kick it off with Rick. So Rick, um, let's have you first summarize for us what's actually happening in this interview cycle. What are the changes, what's new, and how it differs from previous years? Sure. So, you know, everyone knows about the pandemic last year and how it affected interviews. Uh, Everything was virtual, uh, second looks or campus visits. Uh, were not really allowed. So programs and candidates had to make choices, had to make uh, rank lists without really knowing the program, seeing the people, getting a feel for the vibe or the culture. Um, and this year, unfortunately, is going to be very much similar. Um, in-person interviews are are really not allowed. They're saying that it's a hybrid model, but it's definitely more on the virtual side in the sense that uh, first interviews will be all virtual, just like last year. And at least this year, they are loosening up a little bit and they're allowing, quote unquote, they don't want to call it second looks, but I'll call it second looks uh, in January, February, March, once applicants have finished all their interviews to come and then visit the campus, meet the chairman, meet the program director, spend time with the residents and see if they're a good fit for that program. Uh, So it's going to be very similar to last year with the positive addition that candidates will be allowed and actually encouraged to come visit these programs once they're done doing their virtual interviews. You know, speaking of that, before we get into the the nitty gritty on this year and how it's going to pan out, I wonder if uh, both of you, Drs. Komatar and Wang, could uh, give us, our listeners, and and me, I'm curious, some unofficial gossip. Uh, From what you heard last year, we won't name any names, any programs, nothing to avoid incriminating anyone, but to the extent that you may have heard anything, did people wind up doing visits last year? Did you hear any stories about informal, unofficial, under-the-table visits? Yes, absolutely. And I would say that that is absolutely necessary. Um, I think that there were visits that were not officially sanctioned, and you shouldn't be doing visits, but um, 100% people did do visits. 
uh, on their own volition. They came down, they were visiting a city, they stopped by, they met with the residents, met, met with the program. And I can't, I can't blame anyone for doing that. I can tell you that, you know, as someone who went through this process, uh, one of the most important things about a program is visiting and making sure you're going to be happy there. Seven years is a long time. It's a large part of your life. And you can only get so much over Zoom and what you see on the internet. You really have to be at a program, shake their hands, uh, see what the culture is like, because someone could be an amazing applicant or there could be an amazing program. But if they're not if they're not vibing and if they're not fitting into the culture and every program has a different culture, then they're not going to be happy and they're not going to have a good experience. So yes, there were visits last year. Um, and I can't blame anyone for doing that. And this year, fortunately it's, it's allowed. Um, and in fact, we will be encouraging it because, you know, as program director, I, I certainly don't feel as comfortable ranking someone highly if I have not met them in person. And if they have not met our residents in person because fit is so important. Right. And we talked last year on the podcast about how important that face-to-face offline unrecorded, really just personal meet and greet was to get a fit between the applicant and the residency, as you say. And if, as you're saying, people were doing visits anyway, if you saw it, you heard about it, everybody at the leading programs in the leading cities would have seen that. Perhaps the fact that it was happening anyway was part of the decision to allow and sanction some visits this year. Was that part of the discussion you were privy to nationwide? Yes. So the uh, Society of Neurological Surgeons, uh, aka Senior Society with chairman and program directors and other leaders in the field, there was a vote that went on um, several months ago talking about what should happen this year. Uh, The overwhelming majority of members of the SNS, it's called, were in favor of some type of in-person component to the interviews. So the options were 100% hybrid, I'm sorry, uh, uh, you know, full virtual, hybrid, virtual, in-person, or full in-person. And no one pretty much voted for the all virtual. Everyone wanted some component um, of of in-person, which, of course, we all agree is such an important part of the interview process. So at least they made it hybrid. My hope is that um, next year we go to full in-person, um, you know, what are the benefits of virtual? Obviously, it's cheaper, it's easier. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I feel like a lot of it's fluff and it's not real because you're not meeting these people. So let's see how this year goes hybrid wise. But I'm hopeful that next year it goes to full in person. I think most program directors are hopeful as well for that. Yeah. And JP, you you asked a question about the interesting news from 2020 a year ago. And um, let me let me address that with an answer. Also a question to Dr. Komatar. So with the pure virtual, with the Zoom elements, and that's going to be kept in terms of the primary interview process this year, right? So with that, we saw all kinds of changes, um, whether it be that it was it was basically no cost to interview, so you had no stratification of applicants and programs, whether it be odd backgrounds or things that you were doing during the Zoom or Zoom behaviors and Zoom etiquette, Zoom shyness, all mm-hmm. these elements, uh, I think... Um, really alter that sort of interaction. And that will be persisting for this year, right, Rick? So tell us tell us about your advice. Kick off with the advice about, like, in a Zoom situation, do's and don'ts. Uh, you mean for the applicants, obviously. For the right? applicants. <laughs> yes, yeah. right, for the applicants. For the faculty, yeah. Um, so I would say 
So do's and don'ts. I a lot of it is similar to just a normal in-person interview, right? You don't want to draw attention to yourself for anything other than what you've accomplished. So you go in there to a Zoom, just like a regular interview, you're wearing some crazy hat or you're not wearing a suit or you just you're in some room that's got some odd backgrounds. It just distracts the interviewer from you as a candidate. And yeah, you may say that you're trying to like express yourself in an honestly bad move, just a very simple room with a very simple background, nothing crazy, dress like you normally would for an interview, very, you know, professional suit. Um, and then it just, I would interview and be yourself. Um, so, I, you know, just like in an interview, you, you don't want to be overly shy. You don't want to be overly shy on Zoom. People aren't going to know what you're about. You also don't want to be braggadocious and too much too much talking because that comes across as annoying. So I, I would say that in general, the same uh, characteristics that make a good interviewee in person make the same interviewee on Zoom. You just got to be yourself, but be relatively conservative, dress appropriately, and don't draw attention away from why you're there in the first place, which is all of your amazing accomplishments. I think that's excellent advice. And, you know, we, we've all talked about this. We've all learned this together as a field and, and as a country, as a world in the past year or two, dealing with all this virtual communication uh, after the pandemic and the shutdowns. I, I wonder if there's been any discussion. You, you, you said this has at least been talked about, but have, have there been any formal discussions or quantified discussions about that second wave of in-person visits exactly how many of those would be encouraged or allowed per applicant? Or has there been talk of any guideline or restriction on that? So the SNS, again, that's the that's the uh, senior society, has been very limited in how much they're going to endorse this. They're saying that it's allowed, um, as opposed to last year where it was not allowed. Uh, they also say that this cannot affect your rank list. And quite frankly, both of those are absolutely ridiculous. Um, I can tell you, we will be encouraging them here. I will be encouraging them. Um, and of course they're going to affect your rank list. Like what world are we living in here? I mean, you know, if someone, if someone has a good interview and you want them back, yeah, they need to come back. And I'm going to be very frank with applicants. Like if you really want a shot to match at Miami, if you want to be ranked highly here, this is one of your top programs. You got to come back. We got to meet you. I, I, I'm not going to be taking people who don't fit in with the program. It's a total wild card. So the answer to your question is SNS is being very cagey. They're saying allowed but not encouraged uh, cannot affect your rank list. In reality, very much encouraged and will definitely affect your rank list. So, Rick, let's break down the mechanics on that because some of, some of the folks – actually probably most, have only been students all their lives, right? And so they've never gone through this process, but for the last 30 or 40 years, the process was kind of laid out. People understood the matching process and all this, but the idea of a second look in the past was, it started with the idea of the Christmas party invites, right, at the premier programs that sort of signaled that you were like in a top couple of applicants and you were being recruited. But then the second look sort of emerged as more like the applicant saying, well, I really like your program, so I'm willing to spend double the money to fly to whatever city you're in. Um, because obviously a second look is not your home institution usually, right? Because you're already there. Mm -hmm. So help the help the uninitiated understand, like, like, let's say I'm an applicant and I want to do a second look at University of Nebraska. 
right? How do I even start that process? Do you think? And I know there's no pattern for this, so I mm-hmm. so I know you're going to have to riff it a little bit off the cuff. Yeah, I mean, I would say that your that your your kind of portal is always the program director or the associate program director or the program coordinator. Um, at Miami, it's it's usually through me, and that, that's the way that I like it. Um, so let's say you wanted to go to Nebraska or Program X, you would contact their program director, uh, and you would just be very honest. Hey, look, I interviewed at your program a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Really love the program. Uh, would love to come visit, meet you in person, meet the residents, spend a day or two, round, go to the OR, whatever you're interested in. Um, invariably, they are going to be excited uh, because it's an applicant who is interested in their program. And obviously everyone wants people to be interested in their program. And especially if you're one of their top candidates, it shows that you're, that there's a mutual interest. And so um, I think second looks are just as important for the program as they are for the applicant. Uh, I think that coming back, spending time with the program validates with you, you know, meaning, meaning you as the applicant, that that program is where you want to be. And it validates with the program that you're the applicant that they want to match. And look, there are definitely times people do a second look and one or both of the people just don't like the other, you know, situation. So someone visits and they do a second look and the, and the program's like, oh, this, this person's a terrible fit. Or the person visits and they're like, actually, this program's not as good as I thought, or the culture is not what I wanted or the, you know, all the, all the environment. So I think it's, it's, it's a good thing for both the applicant and the program. And it, it honestly should be encouraged. Yes, it costs money, but these applicants are saving all the money on the initial interview. So at the end of the day, I think it's money well spent. You know, I completely echo that. And I love that you bring up the negative second look as a positive thing. I literally, before this phone call, I was speaking with a group of medical students and they asked about, oh, what kind of feedback do residents get and what kind of input do they have in the selection process and what's it like? And the question of, you know, having a, a mutual dislike or the residents don't like the applicant or the applicant doesn't like the residents or vice versa with the whole program came up and they were taken aback. And I said, are you kidding? That's great. You don't want to wind up at a place where you don't like the city. You don't like the program. You don't like the residents. That's a good thing that gives you information. So couldn't agree with you more that that's a positive outcome. If you go on a fact finding mission and you find negative facts. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I would say that it's better to have an uncomfortable one or two days than an uncomfortable seven years. So just like you said, it is way better to know that you're not a good match, which I, I bet if you were to look at the interns this year around the country, there is there has to be a higher percentage of people who are not happy because they because I mean most people matched at a program without ever setting foot in that program. You're gonna have a lot of mismatches people who aren't happy with who they got and people who aren't happy where they're training. Now you read my mind because that's exactly the next question I was going to ask you. I know Dr. Komatar, you're a man who's got his ear to the ground and you're in the gossip network nationwide. So again, not to name names, not to incriminate or specify anyone, but have you heard any stories about this either from the intern side or from the program side? Not anyone specific, not a a case example, but a general sense of last year's match really was different in terms of satisfaction? Absolutely. Definitely. I mean, there's just in talking to other program directors, um, there are people who have matched at programs 
that are just frankly a bad fit. They're a bad fit, but you know, not their fault, but just the, their, their personality, uh, and, and what they, um, what they enjoy on a day-to-day basis does not fit that program. And so there have definitely been uh, a lot of situations this year where people, uh, are not, are not happy with their interns. Both the programs aren't happy with the interns and the interns aren't happy with the program. So it goes both ways. And I'm not surprised that there's a higher rate of dissatisfaction when people aren't meeting each other. So that's why I think the second look is going to be vital this year. Um, And like I said, I'm going to be frankly telling candidates that it was great meeting you over Zoom. If you want a realistic shot of matching in Miami, you got to come back. So, Rick, you know, it's interesting because when I look at the various features of an applicant, I would say, for example, a person's ability to write, do research, speak compellingly, and their appearance, those are all things that are apparent in the in a second look or interview. But the part you don't capture is an individual's ability to have grit or work hard or um, their manual skills and all of this. And so it does bring up this issue that if you were to say um, – that this year people are doing a sub-I, they can do one, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Then if you haven't picked your sub-I yet, then that sub-I becomes especially important, not only your performance, but where you picked, right? Because um, how those people at that program, that 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 uh, program you're visiting, how they choose to speak about you, what mm-hmm. the quality of the l- workload will all speak to, um, you know, how you're perceived as a result of that sub-internship, Right. So last year, there were no sub-I's allowed. Everyone was just doing sub-I's at their home institution. And another thing that we saw last year is that a greater percentage of people matched at their home institution. Again, not shocking, right? People are from that institution. That's the only institution that's actually worked with that person. So they know what they're getting. It's a much safer match, so to speak. And that person also knows the program. So they know if they fit or not. So there was a higher percentage of people staying at their home institution last year. Uh, and this year, people were allowed, as you said, only one sub-I. I can guarantee you that is going to play a role in the interviews because people are not going to be meeting for interviews. It's all virtual. And then the second look, like you said, yeah, you're shaking hands. You're getting a feel for the program and whether or not you fit, but you don't see that person working. And so sub-I's are your basically one-month tryout for that program. And I think what you're going to see this year is that a higher percentage of people that did sub-I's at programs are going to be matching at those programs. Not shocking. People don't want to take someone uh, who's who's more risky. Someone who's good for a full month and fits into your program and works hard and is the first one there, last one to leave, good in the operating room. It, it's pretty rare that person has a good month and then they have a terrible seven years. So um, also something we are looking at. With, with with our sub eyes, that's going to play a major role. You know, another thing we talked about last year as we were going into the virtual interview season was the high rate of students who were taking a research year, taking a gap year, delaying their application uh, into residency just to avoid the whole hassle of the virtual year. Um, you know, when that happened, there was a lot of talk of flooding the market the next cycle. And here we are getting into the next cycle. Has there been any discussion you've been a part of or what, what's your thought and your take on this concern for possibly a much higher number of applicants this year than the field is used to? And of course, the field has residency spots for. 
I have not seen that. The overall applicants, at least here in Miami, were roughly equivalent to the prior years. It was up, but like up by like one or two percent, like nothing, nothing major. Um, the quality of applicants continues to go up. I don't think that's a result of the virtual year. Um, you know, the applicants just continue to get better every single year. The board scores, uh, you know, all the letters, the publications, the quality of school, the AOA people. Um, so I haven't seen an increase in the overall number, but it, but there is a continued increase in the overall quality, which is not surprising. Well, Rick, we could talk all day about this, and, and you've really been very um, generous with your time and very honest with your answers. I think, you know, for, for such an important phase of these young people's lives, um, the, the, the information is invaluable. Uh, we look forward to interviewing other program directors, but thanks for kicking this off with the right tone, and good luck to all the applicants out there. Thank you for coming on the podcast again. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in the show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continued medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody. 